0: Amen. Thank you, worship team. You may have a seat, church family. I appreciate the team coming together and leading, and um, we fight a battle that has already been won. Amen. We can praise God. We can come here. Uh, church family, I want to pause, and before we jump into our text this morning, which I am so eager to do, I think we need to pause and we need to recognize uh, recognize something about the world around us, and, and that is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is filled and full of hurt, pain, sorrow, grief, confusion, and uh, if you've checked your news if you scrolled through any type of social media you probably are aware that there is another war that has broken out in our world Uh, in an area that is uh, has known war and conflict for many years but just the other day a group Hamas launched a surprise attack on Israel bombing a number of cities hundreds being killed thousands injured and Israel was quick to retaliate and what we know now is that there is yet another conflict happening in the world. A conflict where leaders are fighting, countries are fighting, and people are losing their lives. Innocent civilians uh, are dying. And so we often have to ask ourselves, we come to this place, what, what does this mean for us? What, what, am I, what are we supposed to do? Do we do anything? Well, I'm the type of guy, and if you get to know me, I don't like conflict. Just ask my wife. She'll be the first one to tell you. If I could sweep it under the rug, that's the first thing that I would like to do. But I believe, church family, that this morning, uh, this is not something that we can just simply ignore. This isn't something that we can just sweep under the rug because we are all going to go home. We are all going to go throughout the rest of the week, and we're going to see that this conflict continues. And even if this particular conflict ended, there will always be conflict and war and pain and suffering. And we are here and we we can do something because we are here worshiping a sovereign God. A sovereign God who is not taken aback, he's not surprised when these things happen. A God who is still Lord and sovereign and king over all the kings of the world. And what that means is that we as God's children, as brothers and sisters, can come together and we can pray. We can pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. It means that we can also pray with one another for those who are hurting, for those who are experiencing extreme amounts of loss. We are told that we can pray for the leaders who are above us. We have that ability to go before our God and to pray and to lift these things up before him. And we don't have to walk hopelessly. And so, right now, church family, I want to just take a moment um, and will you join me as we go before the Lord and we lift up what's happening around the world? Father, we come here this morning and we walk through these doors and we walked in here freely. We walked in here without fear of anything happening without the fear of anything being taken from us. And we are thankful for that. We praise you and we thank you every day that we have the freedom to come before you, to worship you, to sing of your praises, of how great you are. But Lord, we do this and we also recognize this morning the brokenness in the world around us. We recognize the people that are on the other side of this world who are in conflict every day. We recognize that there are now two, two nations, two countries, who, uh, people groups, who are, who are fighting each other, and that there are leaders making these decisions, and there are innocent civilians, innocent people who are losing their lives or losing everything that they had around them. And we want to pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray that they would continue to experience and to know the hope that you offer, the hope that you provide in their lives, and through that hope that they might be able to communicate that to those around them to bring the hope of the gospel to those they come into contact with, to the, the, that they meet, and that they will always find their hope and trust in you. And Father, we pray for the leaders. We, at this moment, we have to step out in faith because things don't make sense. We can't can't comprehend it all, but we do know that you are God. You are sovereign over all the lands, over all the kings. You are the king of kings. And so we pray that you would guide the leaders to quickly discern a just path to stop the pain, to stop the hurt, to stop the wickedness. We pray, Father, that you will will bring justice, but that you will end this quickly. And Father, we ask that you will give us strength, that you will give us the ability to trust in you in times of conflict. Remind us to come to you continuously, to lift up those who are in need, who are hurting. We commit this to you, Father. Thanking you that you hear us and that you are able to answer our prayers. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for doing that. And, and this actually really does tie in to the message that we're going to be looking at today, to, to uh, what Jesus tells his disciples about how we respond, what our reaction is in times of conflict, uh, in troubling times. Okay, deep breath. I want to take a step back, and I'm curious. Anyone ever get homesick here? Anyone? I see my son's hand goes up. All right. Yeah, that's true. I can verify. When you were a child, were you ever homesick? Now, if you know me, you're like, oh, Eric, he's always, Pastor Eric, always talking. Well, there was a time when I was shy, and there was a time when I, too, got homesick. And I remember one specific instance where it was supposed to be a great weekend away that I was supposed to have the time of my life spending the weekend with my Grandma Harder. This is my Grandma Harder who worked at Nestle's, and yes, she had a whole room of candy. How can you not have an amazing weekend with your grandma when she has a whole room of candy waiting for you? My grandma, she went all out to give all of her grandchildren a spectacular time together. I knew that when I would go to her house, yes, I would get lots of candy. But not only that, she would always take us to Plainville Turkey Farm. Yes, I grew up in the country, okay? And Plainville Turkey Farm, you got to go and you got to see a farm of turkeys. And when you're like eight years old, that's pretty cool. And then to top that off, after you saw the Farm of turkeys, you went to the restaurant and you ate a turkey sandwich. Yeah, that one, I thought about that one later. <laughs> was kind of messed up. And then... If that wasn't fun enough, she would then take us to JCPenney's where we could go and we could pick out a brand new tracksuit. That's right. Like, I mean, you know the kind where you just go, and it was so, I never got any new clothes. I was the youngest. It was all hand-me-downs for me. So to go to grandma's house and to go to J.C. JCPenney's and get a brand new tracksuit, this was exciting or so it was supposed to be. But I remember the trip to my grandma's house. It was a two hour drive. The plan was my mom and my dad, they were gonna take me, they were gonna drop me off. They had a little two day getaway planned, and I was gonna stay with Grandma Harder. But do you know what I was saying and thinking the whole ride to Grandma Harder's house? Mom and dad, you can't leave me. I'll die. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm constantly asking them over and over, Mom, Dad, when did you say you're going to be back again? For the 50th time, Eric will be back. And I remember being in anxiety on this whole trip because I didn't want my parents to leave. I've been with my grandma hundreds of times. I'd even been to Plainville Turkey Farm. I know how much fun it was. I was ready to gobble it all up. But no, I needed my parents to be there with me. I couldn't bear the thought of being without them. And as a result, I remember sitting there with my grandma when we were supposed to be having the time of our lives playing a, a game of golf uh, cards, and I was winning, I was supposed to be happy, and i just bawl, and I'm crying because I needed my parents. I felt alone, and that my friends, is the story of a homesick child. So why in the world would I share that with you? Well, because we have, in this passage today, chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, we have disciples who are feeling anxiety and they are crying out because they are feeling alone. Or they're at least afraid that they're going to be abandoned which is going to change their outlook on life. And so here, we find a passage where things are are beginning to to become very turbulent. They don't really understand what's happening. It was supposed to be just a great meal upstairs, and and they were going to have this this meal together. And Jesus starts off by... What's the first thing Jesus did at the Upper Room Discord? Go ahead, say it. He starts washing the feet. Things are already a little backwards. And then as they're talking, he says, oh, and by the way, someone's going to b- betray me. Judas stands up, walks out. Why did Judas just leave? I don't know. He's got some important business to go. By the way, Peter, you know, the, the one who is, who is most uh, passionate about your faith and the one who is, who's always there to defend Jesus, yeah, Peter, you're going to deny me, Jesus says. And by the way, I'm going to leave you all for a little while put your place in the disciples shoes or sandals if you will what would you be thinking everything that we've been working up towards over these last three years and now peter's going to deny you you're going to leave us can you imagine how troubled they felt Can you imagine the anxiety that they felt? And so chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, which is what we're going to look at today, is Jesus explaining to them why in the midst of these troubling times, they can find hope. They can see why they can find hope in the midst of troubling, hope and comfort in the midst of troubling times. So as we begin this, I want you to think for a moment, what is it that might trouble you today? What is it that might trouble you tomorrow? Without a shadow of a doubt, I know that there are people who came in to worship the Lord today and your hearts are heavy, your hearts are burdened, and something is troubling you. And if that's not you today, I can confidently say that there will be a time, there will be a day in the next few weeks, the next few months, the next few years, when your heart will be troubled. The anxiety will creep in. The trouble will be there. And so the question is, how do we deal with that? How can we be comforted? And Jesus will give us here, he gives the disciples and us also, three reasons why we can find comfort in troubling times. So before we dive in and look at those, uh, let's just ask the Lord to bless our time as we read his word. Father, we are so thankful that we can come here, that we can worship you in song, and that we can worship you through hearing your word, and we thank you that you have given us your living word. That we, can, that we can read it, that we can know it, and we can know you. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and in our lives. And so we are asking right now that your Spirit will, will touch us, that you will encourage those who need encouragement, you will exhort those who need exhorting, and that you will be with us as we read your word. May it be your words and not mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first reason the disciples can find comfort in the midst of these troubling times, as Jesus tells them, is because we have a home with the Father. Read with me verses 1 through 7. This is what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. In these verses, we see that disciples find comfort because we have a home with the Father. Jesus starts off by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, easy to say. How am I supposed to do that? Well, have faith in God, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, in saying that, Jesus links himself to the Father as the appropriate object of faith and make no mistake that's a big deal because at this moment jesus is saying just like you can put all of your faith in the father yes you can put your faith in me and we're going to see that is because jesus is making the claim that he and the father are one that jesus is god and he's going to expound on that as we go But the disciples at this time, the the problem was they were still filled with fear and they did not have faith. And so Jesus comforts them and he says, listen, you have a home with the Father. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Literally, there's many dwelling places. Now, for us... The concept might not be as familiar, but to the, to the disciples listening to this, they would have, it would have clicked immediately what Jesus was talking about, about going and preparing a place for them and coming back so that they would have room. In Jesus' time, families usually lived in clusters of buildings called insulas. Have any of you ever lived in an insula before? I don't know. Well, let's find out. An insula, these, were cl- these clusters were bur- built around a central courtyard where grandparents, cousins, aunts, all lived and interacted together in the insula. What do you think about that? Huh? Do you, you like that idea? I see. Okay, we don't. Okay. Well, here's a picture of an insula. Right, So you have this courtyard, and, and what it would have looked like years before was probably just one room, one house, where the father lived with his children. But then the son would go off, and he would get married, he would, and he would um, come, and he would build. And when the house, when the room was ready, the father would say, it's ready, you can get married. The son would say, yippee, and he'd go get married, and he'd bring his family to live at the house together. And so this is the mental picture that the disciples are seeing. Some of you out there are like, you know, I, I like the idea of my grandkids being around. Others, you're like, no, they can they can just stay stay far away. But the idea here that Jesus is communicating is that in his father's house, there are going to be enough rooms for everybody. Why is this significant? Because the disciples are starting to wonder, I just gave up everything. For three years, I've been following you, Jesus. For three years, I've given up everything. I haven't put anything in my 401k. I haven't been doing anything. I don't have a home. If you go, I'm in trouble. And Jesus is saying, you have a home. Not only a home, it is a dwelling place with the Father. No matter what happens in the days to come, you will have a dwelling place in the presence of the Father. And he says, I'm going to do this. What is he talking Where is he going? We had the advantage of looking back, and we know that his going is going to the cross, to the crucifixion. He is going to die. He will then be buried in the tomb, but he is going to raise again. There will be the resurrection, and there will be life, new life, in Jesus. That is where Jesus is going. But he says to his disciples, so if I am going to go, and I'm going to do all this work, and I'm going to build you all a room in the Father's house, you can guarantee with all that work that I'm going to come back to get you. And if I'm going to come back to get you, I'm going to make sure that you are cared for in the meantime. Jesus is going to build a home, rooms, onto his father's house, and there is plenty of room for everybody. Except there's one problem. Thomas is quick to point it out. Now, Thomas was a faithful disciple. Thomas was loyal and and, and courageous, but we also know that Thomas had his flaws, and he was marked with doubt at times, Doubt, but really asking questions that probably you and I would be asking. And Thomas says, "Uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I'm I'm really glad you're building this house for us, but I don't know how to get there, and you haven't given any instructions. Any of you out there um, impaired at giving directions? (laughs) Yeah, good, don't raise your hands. Okay, the good news is the directions to this house, to this location, are simple. No left turns, no right turns, no toll booths. It's a simple direction. And Jesus says, if you want to get to this house, my father's house, there's one way. He says, I am the way. And he expounds on that. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This might be a very familiar verse. You might have heard it before. When Jesus said, I am the way, this would have also brought something uh, to mind for the disciples because the disciples were familiar with this term, this word, this phrase, the way, but it had never been used in this way before. You see, the disciples knew the way, in their minds, had always referred to the law of Moses, the written word of God. The written law, the Torah was the way. It was the guideposts, the rails that would lead everyone to see, it would lead everyone to see a blessed life. So the the disciples hear the way, and and initially they're thinking, wait, the way, the written law of Moses, and he says, No not a written law. I am the way. I am the way. John, as he opens up the gospel, he sheds light on how Jesus is more than a man, but he is God. And it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is telling the disciples, that old way, that written way, that law, the rules, the regulations, no more. I am the true word. I am the living word. Life comes through me. The way to heaven, the way to the Father is through me and there is no other means to the jew reading this and hearing this that what they what they learned was that the way was not through the law through the torah but it was only through jesus to the roman who might have been reading this in the first in this letter when it was first written they would have been clearly told there is no other god there is no other religion to get you to heaven It is only through Jesus. He is the way. And he is the way because he is the truth. Notice, Jesus is very careful in what he says and how he says. The way, the truth, the life. Which is very different from saying, I'm a way, I'm a truth, I'm a life. Today's culture, everything around us says, follow your way. Live out your truth. Live your life. That's what we hear every day. That's what our kids hear every day when they go to school. Every time you check social media. Every time you watch a movie. That's the message you will hear. Live your truth. Live your life. And Jesus is saying, I love you. But that's not going to cut it because your way, your truth is not going to pay uh, for the consequence of the brokenness and the sin in this world. But Jesus is the truth. He embodied, he's not a truth, he doesn't just speak truth, he embodies truth, he is truth. And he says, I am the life. Earlier he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He is the only one who can give life. And we live in a world that says, no, no, if you think it, you can, you can will it. And he's saying, that's not how it works. It's not a popular truth that Jesus is the way, but it is the only truth. And we have to make sure that we constantly ground ourselves in Jesus, in his words, that he is the truth, that he is the way. No man comes to the Father except through him. And so while Jesus repeatedly welcomed all people to follow him, and he showed no partiality, in this statement he made it very clear that if you do not follow him, that you would not see the Father. But as disciples, as Jesus' followers, who find life in him, we know that he is the way to the Father, to where our home is. And so the disciples can find hope and comfort because they have a home with the Father. Well, he goes on to say in verses 8 through 11 that there's another reason they can find comfort in this time. They can find comfort, and we can find comfort, Because we know the Father. We know the Father. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough. And Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? So here, Jesus had just told them that he is the way to the Father's house. And he says, and from now on, you do know him because you have seen him. And, and Philip, he, he lights up. Seeing the Father? Yes, yes. That, that'll do it. That will bring me comfort. If I, just like Moses saw on, on, on the mountain, he saw the backside of God passing through, and he saw God's presence. Yes, Philip says, Jesus, if I could just see the Father to that degree, all my doubts will be uh, set aside. I will be so confident. I'll be so prepped. I'll be so ready. I will, I will be feeling really good. And Jesus says, Philip, dude, Three years. I have been with you for three years and you haven't seen it. You have not realized it. That the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, we see this junction of the two. And Jesus wasn't just saying, I'm a, I am a vessel, He isn't just saying, I'm a good teacher. He isn't just saying, I'm a prophet. He is saying, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He is saying, we are one. He's proclaiming his deity. He is saying that I am God. But he's saying, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Therefore, Philip, you have seen what you need to see. So what you are about to embark in and what, you are, what is about to happen you have already witnessed and seen everything you need to take those next steps. I think Philip, his question though, shows our tendency to ask for more proof, for always ask for more than what we already have. But I want to—I sh- have a picture. I want to share a story with you. Uh, you'll see uh, behind me some three three handsome men in in uh, spandex, and. That was uh, taken a few years ago, uh, Brian Johnson, Daniel Schofield and I, we joined forces and we, we rode the STP, Seattle to Portland. And that was a, a pretty big moment in my life, it was a big accomplishment, but I want to go, you know, rewind before that and for years I had always told Cheryl, I really want to do the STP. I love the idea, I, I, I want to ride my bike all the way to Portland. Why? I don't know. It just sounds fun. I don't know. Don't ask what's wrong with me. But I just wanted to, but for years I had excuses. For years I was, I just, I didn't have enough time to do it. And probably the one that bugged my wife Cheryl the most was I need a better bike. I just, you know, if I had a better bike, you know, that was like five ounces lighter, then I could probably ride to Portland. But it wasn't until about 2018 when I came to CCF, and I remember the conversation. I don't know if Brian and Daniel remember it, but I remember in the office at the ministry center, we're, sitting, we're standing by the counter, and we're talking about bikes, and I'm like, yeah, I've always wanted to do the STP. And then Daniel's like, yeah, me too. And you know what Brian has the nerve to say? Let's do it. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> we were doing it. We were doing it. And for the next, I don't know how many months, nine months, we were holding each other accountable. We were talking about training. And I got on my old bike, and I remember that was a Gravity. Did you ever hear of the Gravity bike? No. You know what brand it was? It was the brand Generic, okay? And I got on that bike, and I, and I rode miles and miles every day, and we practiced, and we ended up riding to Portland together. And I learned that moment, I realized that for all the excuses that I was making, I didn't need a new bike. I didn't need more hours in the day. What I really needed was some friends to just kick me in the rear end and say, you're doing it. Here's what's happening with Philip, the disciples, and Jesus. Philip is saying, Jesus, if you would just show us, if you would just show us the face of the Father, Then we'll take that next step of faith. Then we'll do it. And Jesus is saying, Philip, I have been with you for three years. You've already seen the Father, you've seen the miracles. Everything you need for that next step, you've got it. Church, brothers and sisters, God is calling you to walk in faith, to take a step, and you're probably saying, Lord, if you would just give me a greater assurance, just just give me a greater, a a deeper understanding, more knowledge. Yes, Lord, if I could have more knowledge and clarity, let me open my Bible and my devotions and speak it. Lord, if you would just give me more intimacy, The way I felt on Sunday morning, can you just give me that feeling of intimacy throughout the week? And if I felt that, then I could be confident to take the next step. Whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to do, to take that next step of faith and obedience, you can have confidence that he has been with you and you have what you need to take that step of faith. And so that's what we see Because the Father was with them always. And as disciples, we can find comfort knowing that the Father is with us and that we know the Father. And finally, he goes on, the third point. The third reason that we can find comfort in difficult, troubling times is that because we will continue the Father's work. Read with me in verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We could could break that verse down for a really long time. There's a lot to unpack there, okay? And he's not talking about the prosperity gospel here. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you name it, you claim it. Hey, whatever you you want that Mercedes Benz, you want that Ferrari, you just ask in my name, it's yours. That is not what he is saying, okay? Is that what he's saying? Thank you. I didn't hear everybody. I don't want to hear anyone out in the parking lot later. Jesus, give me that Mercedes. No, that's not what he's saying. So what is he saying, though? And why is, why is he making this point right now? Why is he explaining that in Jesus there is a privilege, there is provision? It's because, well, the, the disciples were probably thinking, great, we're out of work. As I was looking at this passage, I was reminded, um, for anybody who's lived in Seattle for a number of years, or if you know your Seattle history, I have a sign back here. It was a billboard put up in about 1971. Will the last person leaving Seattle turn out the lights? Anyone recall that? Well, back in 1967, there was this aerospace industry uh, nosedive. And Boeing in 1967 went from having over 100,000 employees to, fast forward 1971, 38,000 employees. People were losing their jobs left and right. Homes were being lost left and right. Everyone was leaving Seattle. And so that some two guys got together and were like, hey, this is worth 160 bucks. And they put up this sign where the last person leaving Seattle turn out the lights. You know, when you lose your job and there's no foresight, there's, there's, there's no hope of having another job in sight, It's pretty debilitating. It's pretty hopeless. And so here, in their minds, three years we've been working with Jesus, three years we're ready to be a part of building the kingdom, three years we are ready to continue his work, and Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving you for a while. You're going to betray me. You're going to doubt me. Suddenly, Job security? What's that? They're thinking to themselves, can we really work, can we really continue the work of the building the kingdom if you're not here? And Jesus is very quick to say, listen, not only will the work continue, the work is going to get better The work is going to be greater. He says that you're going to do things, and greater works than these will will you do, because I am going to the Father. So the idea, what are these greater works? There's a lot of different ideas. Is There's going to be a more numerous number of works. Are they going to be more spectacular? But he, he helps us in what these greater works are going to be, because he says, because, you're going to have greater works, because I'm going to my Father. Because I am going to the cross, to death, to the tomb, to resurrection, to defeat death, to have victory over life, because of that, your works will be greater. He's saying, even up to this point, all the miracles that I have been doing have only been pointing to the cross from here on out, Everything you and every disciple of me does is going to be greater because it points to Christ, to the cross, to the resurrection, to the life. When we serve, when we work, we are building into God's kingdom. And so Jesus is saying that the work is greater than anything they could have imagined. Now, as disciples, everything we do in the power of the resurrection and the life of Jesus is greater. Our work leads to others um, who can find this salvation in Christ. And it glorifies the Father through Christ's resurrection. Work is for the purpose for the Father's glory in building the kingdom. And Jesus enabled his own to do greater things in order that he might bring glory to the father. And so we he says, you ask, you do the works, and the father will be glorified, and I will continue the work that you started, and it will continue through. Brothers and sisters, why is this important? Because it can be pretty daunting to do kingdom work in a secular world. It can be daunting, it can be discouraging, it can be hopeless at times am I even making a difference? The culture is so backwards, so upside down, I can't make any steps forward. And Christ is saying, no, you can continue your Father's work. Spoiler alert, next week we're going to learn why the Holy Spirit. But he says, you're going to continue the kingdom work. So you can find comfort and hope because we will continue the Father's work, no matter what the culture is around us. So we pause, we come to the end of this, and we ask, what is causing you trouble today? What is causing you to stop? What is causing you to to not take that step forward of obedience? What is breaking your hope? What conflict resides in you? Because what we see is that Christ has provided a way if we just follow him. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you know that we are always inviting you to follow Jesus. You need hope. You need need to find comfort in those discouraging times. It comes through Jesus Christ because he is the way. And if you've not made that choice to follow him, we we want to encourage you. I want to invite you to follow him, to give your life to him and trust that he is able to care for you, to bring you to his father. Jesus tells us to trust in him in troubling times. The disciples' hearts were troubled with Jesus living. So today we ask what troubles us today? Jesus' solution for troubled hearts required trust in him. Trust does not mean pretending that we are strong. It means recognizing our weakness and our need for God's help. Oftentimes, we become scared because the, we, we feel like we don't have it in us to take on the next day. The Truth is, you don't. We don't have it in us. But when Christ is in us, we have the strength and we find comfort in that. So the invitation to everyone, in a world that is full of troubles, full of doubt, full of conflict, will you trust Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize that daily we are confronted with conflict. Daily we are confronted with with doubt Daily, we wonder, is it worth it? it, it can, can we really build into your kingdom? Are we really going to make a dent in this culture, in the world, in the lives around us? Father, protect our hearts from feeling abandoned, but give us and show us that hope and that comfort that we find in you, find in you and you alone. Thank you for giving us a place, for giving us a home. Father, we thank you that you have, through your Son, Jesus Christ, made a way, and may we always follow you and not stray. And Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to know you, to know you personally, and that you have equipped us with everything we need to walk in faith. And Father, we thank you that you have not left us unemployed to do your work here on earth, but that you have given us the means to continue your work in faith. We thank you, Father, that you comfort us in troubling times. In Jesus' name, amen.